See, the king stay the king, right? You're listening to Walking the Wire, a podcast examining David Simon's groundbreaking series, one episode at a time, with an affectionately critical eye. This show's intended audience has watched the series in its entirety at least once, so consider this your spoiler warning. I'm BC Douglas, an independent journalist covering police abuse, prosecutorial misconduct, and political corruption in Cleveland and Ohio at large. And I'm Philip Fairbanks. I wrote the book Pedogate Primer, The Politics of Pedophilia, and am currently working on a book about Kai the Hitchhiker's wrongful conviction. Every episode, BZ and I will be joined by authors, activists, journalists, ex-dealers, and maybe even an ex-cop or two. Each guest brings authentic and enlightening experiences relating to the world of The Wire. Thanks for listening, and come connect with us at walkingthewirepod.com. Took us a, it took us a little while, and I think it's only the beginning, but we had our first uh, Twitter beef with David Simon over uh, <laughs> him bristling that, you know, how an article framed an interview with him that he, that he's basically coming out as being all cops are bastards. And, and he's like, no, that's, you know, if you're saying all cops are bastards, that's as much of, of bullshit as back the blue. And... I had to just kind of get into like, I don't know, something with them over that because I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's the position of, you know, we, we were talking, we've talked about that in episodes and I've said it before. It's like, even if you're a good police officer and you go into the system, you are going to be exposed to bastardry. And if you don't do anything about it, you, you're a bit of a bastard. Right. Yeah, and there's a yeah. lot of good cops out there who are like, well, I I gotta be a bit of a bastard because that's the job, that's the reality. I need to keep my job, or ultimately I I'm doing this this balancing of scales of right and wrong in my head, and the corruption is okay compared to what I deal with every day on the streets, you know. Yep, and 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 there is another choice, you know. That's another thing, like for the for the. Kai the Hitchhiker book. I'm reading uh, a couple of the books that I used as sources. Uh, one by Samuel Clark. This guy is a uh, former police sergeant, and another Justin Hobson. And they're both just scathing accounts. They're, they're they're both whistleblowers, former police officers turned whistleblowers turned authors. And you know, so yeah, they're they're you know, you don't have to turn a blind eye. You don't. That's a choice. Once you realize like, oh, I'm in this and this is a mess, you can speak up. And if you choose not to, then yes. Yeah, you're complicit then. You're complicit at that point. It's like uh, one of my, my favorite songs I've been working on a cover of is uh, Solomon, Bar- Solomon Burke's None of Us Are Free. And it just has one of the best. All the 
songs, all the lyrics in it are amazing, just like truth bombs that drop on you. But one of the one of the lines that hits home is if you don't say it's wrong, that says it's right. Yeah, right. But we're both. uh, Yeah, I'm enjoying I got to catch up on the latest episode of We Own the City, but I'm excited to uh, make that make some bonus content, baby. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's enough of a we got this podcast rolling now, but uh, we we had a false start trying to get episode five done this week. And this intro is getting crammed in on the Tuesday before the release. So we're, <laughs> we're already feeling they're like, OK, we got to keep up with this shit. But I do want to do uh, I go over uh, um, We Own This City, I think, after the whole thing's out and yeah, watch it yeah. at least in its entirety once and then watch it again with the critical eye. Mm-hmm. But uh That'll definitely be, uh, you know, when we get into Patreon bonus content, that's going to be yeah, there for you, baby. Absolutely. And speaking of, of which, I uh, should probably give uh, our first Patreon supporter Woo. a shout out because that was pretty rad. That's and, awesome, uh, yeah. If, if you, the enticement here, if you, if you didn't catch it in the first episode, uh, our first five Patreon supporters will receive PDF copies of uh tim tolka's book from episode two which is just a banger and though i'm sad to say uh, i don't know if it's as good as today's episode because they just keep getting better <laughs> but um yeah so we uh we offered to our first five patreon supporters that they can receive pdf copies of tim tolka's book blue mafia and philip's book pedogate primer and uh, we still have four more to go, but I want to give a big shout out to Jonathan Jones, our very first Patreon yeah, supporter who jumped on that. And that was awesome. And uh, if we get a couple more, then we'll have all of the uh, you know obligation we'll need to really start making some of that bonus content. Yep. I don't know what's supposed to come first, the bonus content or the Patreon supporters. <laughs> this chicken or the, the classic chicken or egg situation. <laughs> But yeah, you know, uh, I also want to mention for anybody listening, you, know, you were talking about the We Own This City. Um, just just so you know, this is for you and anybody that's listening. If you go to audiobooks.com, uh, you get two free books uh, as a free trial. Now, yes, I canceled after the first two free books, but I was able to get The Corner and Justin Fenton's uh, The Corner by David Simon and Justin Fenton's We Own This City. Which, by the way, I've started watching The Corner. Uh, I've got a few episodes of Homicide. Like, you know, definitely been delving into the Simon verse uh, since we started working on this. It's been kind of fun. I'd like to dive into Homicide, but I need someone out there to give me a guide to essential episodes because there's nine fucking seasons and right. it's episodic yeah. as shit. <laughs> it's not like, you, well, you got to watch the whole season to know the art. Right. I mean, Get, yeah, I would love a, a, a guide to homicide. Like these, these are the episodes you need to see. Like people do that for Star Trek, and that's really helpful. I mm-hmm. kind of fell off Star Trek bandwagons over the years, but people have put out really good. Like you know, these are the Star Trek episodes you should make sure you've seen if you're going to do Star Trek. But yeah, um, but yeah, you know, like I said, for anybody who has uh, uh, been watching, we own this city. I do definitely. Definitely, uh, you know, check out the book We Own This City by Justin Fenton as well. Ah, amazing. Oh, wow. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
it, like I said, it just really kind of, you know, it shows how that corruption uh, ticks. And like uh, another one of the lines that really got to me is where, you know, they were talking about how, like, especially after Freddie Gray and things were getting really bad, there's, you know, more murders than there's been in Baltimore since 1990. And, you know, uh, despite the fact that 100,000 fewer people in the population and, and, you know, the higher ups and the cops are like, okay, listen, guys, just do anything to lower crime. And that's the problem, (laughs) you know, the do anything like, okay, yeah, yeah. There's protests and riots, because the police are doing anything, you know, that's part of the mm-hmm. problem. You are you are creating the problem. You are making it worse by, quote, do anything, you know. So, yeah. I think one of the things that's really great that I, I, I took immediate notice of, because it's the first thing in your face with uh, we, we own this city, is uh, they keep cutting to... The uh, the main officer, um, I'm forgetting his name, Jennings. Um, Jennings, Wayne Jennings, yeah. Yeah, Wayne Jennings. The first scene you see of him, he's – this is the, like, bad cop in this story. It's like right. your, your central villain. He is training the officers. Right, yeah. This is – I'm gonna, let me tell you how it is doing that thing. And <laughs> that is – just like an endemic issue. And that's one here that I've been tracking specifically in Ohio is we actually have, uh, in 2007, I believe the, the, the state passed this law to mandate certain types of training and I've uncovered that they are just not taking it or they're taking this very, um, laughably abbreviated version of it. Like they're saying, like, you'll go look at their training transcripts and like, I, I did training on, uh, domestic violence and dealing with uh, people who are s- suffering through mental health crisis and this thing and that. And you go look at all these training things they took. It's an online test and they started it at 1101 and they finished it at like 1113. <laughs> really? Yeah. So they're trying to, so that they'll take that, but the real training they get is that it's the in-service thing. Mm-hmm. It's the, the previous generations of cops telling you like, you know, you can throw out all your books. Let me tell you what it, it really is. This and is that really got to change. Yeah. That's the, that's where the culture is being yep. created. And, and you know, the whole, the, uh, a few bad apples metaphor. No, no, that absolutely works. Some people don't like that. They're like, no, no, don't use it. No, that's you got to finish the metaphor <laughs> because listen, if you've got a barrel full of apples and one has gone rotten, if you do not empty the entire bu- bucket of a barrel of apples, it will spread and rot the entire thing. And in fact, once you dump out all the apples, you should make sure to spray down that thing with like some, uh, you know, hydrogen peroxide or something. You've got to kill the rot that's on the walls of the bucket. And then you've got to figure out what were the conditions? Was it the humidity? Is there a, you know, you got to figure out the conditions that created the initial rot in the bucket. So, yeah, it is. It's a few bad apples that are spreading to the entire bucket, you know? <laughs> yeah. Who, or barrel, I guess, is the metaphor. Barrel, goes. Yeah, and whoever, yeah. And whoever, whoever coined that, you know, yeah, they fucking knew what it was to deal with apples. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. 
oh well you know it's just a, it's just a bad apple but as yeah. i never got like it's you know that like when now we get literally out there <laughs> as a defense of police departments as like oh it's just a few bad apples i'm like do you not know the rest of that Right, yeah, yeah. Why don't you reach deep into a, a a barrel of apples that's got a few bad ones that have gone mushy? <laughs> Trust me, you Take don't a even want your, your hand is going to be like all covered in slime. You don't want that. Empty the bucket, sanitize it, figure out what caused the issues that caused the first apple to turn. And make sure that you remove those uh, conditions. That's that's how you fix the bucket of apples. But once again, it starts with dumping all the apples out and sanitizing the bucket and changing the conditions. You can't just, oh, well, you know, rot yeah. spreads. That's how rot works. <laughs> and whatever you do, don't give that apple a badge and a gun. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I'm, uh, I think we, yeah, this has been, um, again, like I said, like another favorite episode and I know episode four is another favorite Richard Montgomery, but, uh, <laughs> Kareem Henton of, uh, BLM Cleveland, who, uh, I, I couldn't appreciate more as, as, a, as just a general human being, uh, really brought the fire with today and we do get into some of that that bad apple stuff in the wire this is the episode mm -hmm. where daniel's really just like steps up to uh make sure and help cover up the beating of a, of a yeah. child to protect his officers so um you know, that that scene and when, when you see the cops beating on the kid who punched the the you know the the clock yeah. milker the old clock milker and you see kima running i remember the first time i watched that and I'm like, oh, she's going to stop it. Nope, nope. She's one of the boys. She's just going to beat him down, too, for hitting a cop. You know? But, yeah, uh, the that and uh, the, the Daniel scene, definitely, like, early on, you realize, no, this is not a typical cop show. You know? Uh, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that's all I, I got um, before we get into the episode. So uh, thank you so much for uh, listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, we're going to try and maybe do some, like, lives at some point. But like we said, our, our schedules have been interrupted by our actual lives. So uh, <laughs> we would love some encouragement. Uh, please share the show. We don't have a marketing department. And uh, yep. if you share the show more than a few times, uh, consider becoming a, a producer, you know, like for a dollar a month or something like that. You can go around and say, like, I'm producing a podcast. It's a pretty cool <laughs> thing to say. Maybe it'll get you uh, some social capital that'll lead to favorable outcomes. I don't know. I'm <laughs> rambling. I just keep talking. That's what I do. <laughs>
You know what I mean? From living in the projects to um, trying to please mom and get, you know, and then once I finished high school, as was required, then my life became mine. And I just did a lot of stuff on the street. A lot of it I regret. Um, been incarcerated as a result. And then uh, after I got out, just found myself, you know, just giving back to the community. I took a lot, of, lot from and I'm glad to be here. So, uh, how long, did, how, when did you find the wire? What did the, sh- how did, when did the show, uh, first, uh, cross your path and you want to talk about like what the show as a whole means to you? Cause we're going to get into the minutia of this episode, but, um, everyone that's coming on for the first time, I like to just sort of get what's, how does the wire sit with you now and, and how has it changed over the years? So, I mean, for me, understand that I discovered The Wire just because, you know, I've always been like since I had come home from being incarcerated, I I was always working hard. And so I just remember uh, coming in and, you know, catching an episode, didn't know how I caught it, didn't know what it was and just said, yo, this is a real ass show. And I got to catch, what is that? You know what I mean? I got to catch this. You know, I got, can I real quick, I don't know if I've told this story on the show yet, but uh, uh, the, I was a big fan of the show and I was watching it and I was living in New York while it was still rolling and I had it on one day and I called my um, my pot delivery service. I think they were called the Cartoon Network. I got <laughs> and broken up and, you know, they the guy would come in, with drop the bag down and I could pick from a bunch of like little boxes you know, and they put scratch off tickets around it with a rubber band. I was like, that's genius. Cause if I scratch off and I win 50 bucks, I'd be like, wait right here. I'll be right back. But one day <laughs> he dropped his stuff down and he's like, Hey, can I run to the bathroom? I'm like, yeah, go for it. And then he goes to the bathroom and he comes out and he stops and he says, yo, is that the wire? That shit's for real. And I, that, I always, I always remembered that about the show. Yeah, no, it 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 just it sat with me, um, just off of the first episode I saw, and I I caught it, you know, season one, like, you know, more than halfway through the season, and um, but like I said, so I just I made it my business. It was that show for me that I made it my business to everything else ceased, and I had to be there watching. Right. And did you, um, when it comes to like, as you were watching this show, did you find it always really re- continue to ring authentic or were, you know, over the course of the show, were there things that you, um, you wanted to see, you felt weren't represented? So no, you know what? So it did a great job representing like for one they did things on there some of us never thought about or we know someone that had that idea so you know and maybe they were implementing it and like just the different ways you can identify like i watch how how they did certain things um and i remember us like there was thinking back it was so dumb but i remember that in this um neighborhood that I used to be involved in selling drugs in, well, 
they just had two phones for that entire big ass neighborhood. And both of those phones were in very well lit areas. You know what I mean? And so like, I think about that. So they had us, we were all going to the same damn phones. And so when I was watching that, I was watching how they circumvented that process. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't going to happen to them. And so for me, I was saying, man, that's genius. Why didn't we think of that? So, you know, or and then other things that I saw that like, yeah, I knew people like that. Like one of the things that I would love to talk on, but I don't want to get off into it yet. But I would love to be able to talk on what we saw out of D. D was this person. He's a drug dealer, but he was a drug dealer that did have a code of ethics. He had some morals about him. And that's something you don't see. You see two types of drug dealers. Whether you know, like one type of drug dealer in the news, and that's this extravagant dude, that this killer. You know what I mean? But what you don't see is that, like, this person wants to get married. This person wants to, you know, like, is a great, great father and father figure. This person is like has taken the lowest of the lows that are coming to him for these drugs. He takes these people from the lowest of the lows and is trying to give them respect and asking that others give them respect. Like that's a complex being. You are uh, not getting ahead of anything at all because this episode opens right in the pit, kneeling in the pit. And you have, you know, it opens with, uh, Wallace and Bodie, you know, Nolte. saying, you saying, like, yeah, conscience there, yeah, yeah, and and but the thing that uh, you know, li- and really listening to it, and yeah, and seeing um, D echoing what McNulty said is everything else in the world gets sold without people scamming, lying, and doing each yeah. other dirty. Why it got to be like that with this? And well, they're just the, there's deal, well, D's idealism, but <laughs> is that also like naive? <laughs> Yeah, in, in that line of business, it, it it's his crisis of conscience that's his downfall, really. Yeah, yeah. and and then, um, but the 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 thing that was um, in I wanted to ask you about Kareem is they really uh, showed right there, like just the kind of hot, yeah, the hostility and and disrespect, and this is a through line in the episode. We see it later. With, uh, you know, like the customers, you know, the, the, they're like, whatever, you know, like you can't give them shit. Yeah. Yeah. Not like so. So like you guys saw that, you know, what I mean, that really resonated with me, you know, on a personal note. But and I don't want to keep telling my stories, but no, uh, that's why you're here, man. No, that's, that's why you're here. Shows about. <laughs> but I mean, but no, like I remember when, you know, I was. uh selling street pharmaceuticals. Um, I remember had like me, not anybody um, that I sell out there to or any of the folks that were pushing work for me. None of those folks were allowed to sell to pregnant women. And, and if someone said that they were quitting, nobody could sell to them anymore. That was things that, because you had, you know what I mean? So, like, believe it or not, there were people like me and and far more just better people than me 
that were still out there selling drugs. Right. And so when I saw that, that's kind of something that like I I I I was happy because I knew that I know that like we're people, we are not this animal, we're not this plague. We're people and we made a harmful decision. You know what I mean? But we are people. We feel we love. You know what I mean? We all that kind of stuff. We 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 we're scared. All of that. And that's what you saw. You know what I mean? And and I just like, you know, I, I I looked at how, you know, he was trying to, you know, school some of the guys, you know what I'm saying? And like Wallace was, he saw the, like in, I think in that episode, he saw, he was seeing kind of the innocence of Wallace. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was going to be the one maybe I could get through to, you know, that like, him, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like he was just like the way, cause Wallace wasn't like the rest. He really wasn't. And so, you know, you just kind of, you get to see him as a little boy. Like, so when you see him as a little boy, you know, it takes away that boogeyman aspect or, you know, like, you know, black people are superhuman and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so when I think about him and I think about like innocence lost, like, you know, when you have someone like that, that character killed, it then makes me think something more locally, like, you know, a young 12 year old here locally gets killed, you know, yeah. by a cop doing a damn drive by, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like we are with no matter what we're accused of, like these are still babies. And how, like mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, the whole, if, if it comes out in the news that some kid was killed and, um, but then it's also revealed, oh, he was a drug dealer. His yeah. humanity gets ripped away with that. No perfect you know, when victim. That's yeah. on. And, and, and as for the reasons why people get into drug dealing, do you know, I've known multiple. Tennessee has some of the harshest child support laws in the nation. Do not have sex in Tennessee, okay? <laughs> if you do, double double bag it. Use a condom. Make sure she's got an IUD on top of the pill because you do okay. not want... Like, I've known guys who had two or three women who they were paying child support to and living in the projects. And guess what? You literally cannot make it on a food service industry unless you're dealing drugs. I mean, you know. If you want to pay yeah. rent, pay child support, not go to jail. Oops, you've already gone to jail three times because you were late on the child support, so they give you fines. You know, it's like when the bank does that, like, oh, I see you're having money issues and you overdrafted. Will this $36 fee help? You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's that same thing. You go to jail, you lose work, you now owe fines, and it's like, what are you going to do? Well, I mean, like, I guess I could... Like I need some weed to, to to deal with the stress anyway, and I and I could sell some meth on the side. Like I've known that guy a couple of times, you know, and he was yeah. not a bad guy. He was a guy in a very bad situation that literally the system had set up against him. There was no like unless unless he just magically becomes a CEO of something, you know, yeah. <laughs> and can afford to live. Then that was just the best way for him to to eke out a survival in this world, you know. Most definitely. No, that that that's on point. I mean, it's just all kinds of people and um, you know, it like it's it's there and it's not just 
you know, them, you know, folks like, you know, what we're describing, like it's even more folks. And when I look at the, like, you know, getting back to episode three, when I look at how we watched, like the, the operation was being watched and it was being critiqued, and, you know, in a sense, like, like, okay, these guys, that's not smart. That's not smart. Like you, like, what is that? That's somebody, that's a consultant. That's someone who comes into your company and, mm-hmm. you know, it's doing quality control and right. checking that out. Like these things mirror right shit that regular people are doing because it's the same damn thing. It's, it's marketing. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yes. They're giving lessons about supply and demand. <laughs> like they're, you know what I mean? They're, man. And even the being nice to people and, you know, like good customer service, like all of that just mirrors. Well, that's what I'm saying on the one level. It's like what you're talking about, your lived experience as a dealer, like there was ethics and, um, and what you're just now saying is, is, you know, like how, how, when I think of the, or the Barksdale organization, D is not free to tell the other dealers, hey, we have this code of ethics now. If someone's quitting, it's fine and don't sell to them. Like Stringer is like, he, you know, cutting to like the end of the episode, I wrote down, like, you know, he just, uh, He's the um, line what's guy. the thing he says <laughs> about, um, oh, yeah, no matter what we call heroin, it's going to get sold. A fiend is going to chase that shit no matter what. This shit is forever. And so right. they're in this. They are, you know, emblematic of, you know, for me as like an anarchist uh, who's critiquing things on authority. (laughs) D and all of them are trapped in the authority structure of the Barksdale. And so their morality can only be as good as Stringer or Avon. Because if Avon and them say, fuck that, that bitch is pregnant. She wants to fuck herself up, whatever. Or do they? But if that's those ethics are in the Barksdale organization. We don't see that. It's very just ruthless and it's hard to imagine with the character they put up with Stringer in some respects. Yeah. It's so like, here's the thing, like everybody has their place. It's like a, a, a society um, where you've got to have those people that, that have this level of conscience. Um, you've got to, and you're going to have these people that are just ruthless and they got a job to do. You know what I mean? Like everybody has their place. This is why it works. And then you've got, you know, Avon at the tippity top and Avon is that incredibly rich person, person that's top of the food chain. Maybe they weren't always like that, but once they got that power, like they, they, they become, you become rotten to the core. Right. It rots from rots you from the inside. Power corrupts, yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, like this this was a person who was regimented, that was a boxer. You know, you understand how he came up. Like this, like, and this is a smart dude. Oh yeah. And I, yeah. And I know and I know that he wasn't always like that. You know what I mean? He had to become that. He had, you know what I mean? And you and know, did you ever and read he about, cares the, about the his guy family? Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. yeah. Phil, you I, want to talk about? I, I, like I think the- I think one one thing that I, the that I don't think we've mentioned yet, I find kind of funny because Avon is a 
composite of little Melvin, who shows up later in the series as an actor in the show, which is like so meta and I love it. But little Melvin and Nathan Bodie Barksdale, did you get that? Nathan yeah. Bodie Barksdale is uh, Nathan. Uh, 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 so Nathan Barksdale and Lil Melvin uh, were both like, he- uh, you know, near the head of the like Lil Melvin was pretty much the head. Bodie's his like second in command. But that's basically like a composite of who Avon Barksdale is. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that there, there's so much that it draws upon, uh, something I mentioned in an earlier episode where like they're working on another show and his co-writer is like, you know, David, you're allowed to write fiction. You're not a journalist anymore. It doesn't <laughs> all have to be based on a true story where you change the name a little bit, you know? And in one case, I- like Jay Landsman, he didn't even change the name. There was a homicide cop in Baltimore named Jay Landsman. Like, yeah. didn't even bother to change the name. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I wonder to what degree if, like, the character of Bodie is meant to show, like, sort of like, this is how young Avon came up. Right, yeah, sort of like Wallace and D. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've considered that myself. I do wonder. Yeah, uh, The Corner. The Corner is one that I, I've read parts of Homicide. I need to... I need to at least skim through the corner because uh, Homicide, The Corner, and Anatomy of a Drug Empire, the Baltimore Sun piece, are like the three main source texts uh, that that the story is kind of adapted from. But yeah, Uh, The Corner, I think, uh, touches more on a lot of the stuff where we what we see with like, you know, uh, the drug dealers and everything. And that's one of the things that, you know, like I said, we can criticize Simon, but one of the things that I do agree that a lot of critics have said he humanizes all these different groups. Like, you know, you understand the humanity of, you know, people on both sides of the law doing awful things. And you also realize that 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 law line is kind of arbitrary. You know, I mean, like, look at yeah. what corporations do. How many people have the Sacklers murdered? You know, yeah. <laughs> they should be on death row, literally. You know, well, I have to say they I think, yeah, he. The, it's the most obvious thing that I usually say about like, you know, the good thing about this show is how it humanizes, you know, what we're talking about like the dealers um, and it makes them real people, but also um, it takes the shine off of the people who are powerful behind the scenes. And this episode is titled the King stay the King while we're talking about power structures and all that. So, or the quote yeah. for this episode is the King stay that. the King. I love that. But scene. the, the next scene is the one I have the most fucking notes on. It's the one where Burrell <laughs> gets the debrief on the, the, the status of the 14-year-old kid who had lost his eye in the mm-hmm. previous episode. Um, Kareem, you want to speak on like, you know, like that, you know, so we have that because that's one thing The Wire will then do. You know, we have this this arc of. This kid loses an eye in this abuse thing. And this scene is them talking about how it's going to work out. And I got a lot to say on that. But ultimately, like, like, like that was that was something because you had you saw the politics, you know what I mean? Involved. You saw the you know, the basically that blue line, that unconditional support that, you know, that exists. And. You know, like I saw a lot, you know, in that the quid pro quo that's going on. And uh, 
And and then, you know, like in that part, you wanted to kind of like Daniels because Daniels showed you that he was principal. And as soon as you start to kind of like go against what you know is best, but you start to like them, they hit you with later on that like he was dirty and that you or they believe he was dirty and you started to, oh, shoot. No, this dude ain't no good. It was like, for me, it was a reality check. And I think that that exists throughout the show where you'll hate, you'll hate them like, you know, one minute. And then, yeah, you know, nobody's the, completely good or bad. Go That's back right now. It's, yeah, I, think, I love it. I think if we all, you know, as, as people have watched and rewatched The Wire now and are exhaustively critiquing it, let's all take a moment. Take yourself back to how you thought about Prez Belusky in this episode on your first watch. I've, you and you fucking hate him, obviously. Like, he's a little shit. He's a lying little shit with... Nepotistic. Yeah, the only reason why... He shot up his car. He's blinded a child. Uh, you know, there's this Pontius Pilate shit going on throwing dirt at good police you know does Valchek even believe that shit no he knows his son-in-law is a no good piece of shit liar who fucks everything up but he's married to his daughter so he has to you know so he's literally untouchable but even Valchek knows this guy is a fuck up I also love the term suction because it sounds so crude and crass and disgusting and you know it brings to mind of course you know certain sexual acts which i think it's meant to you know like do you have suction at city hall no i have (laughs) say i have have got suction in bold i hate this phrase yeah it's so (laughs) gross it's so gross but it's also so fitting it's perfect it's apt yes it's 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 sucking up and if if you ever if you ever like offense, like it seems the word seems offensive, but you just that is the stuff that exists. It's it's an offensive fact, thing. Yeah, yeah. What's more offensive than the image and, and and the term is the fact that that's a thing that yes. you can have suction at city hall and your son in law can blind <laughs> a kid and then he gets promoted. You know, hey, hey, where did Caceres start? You know what I mean? In in the Kai story. One of these New Jersey like uh, guy, and he moves up from prosecutor to DA to to assistant AG, and it's like you literally promoted the sex crime guy, you know? Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's fucked up. <laughs> they the, got um, suction, I guess. So our our um, a really interesting observation. Our first guest, uh, Mustache Bob, brought on was that like. Everything above municipal, like city level, is sort of like not really addressed. It's another world. Like, but this is one of the few episodes where they have a conversation about the state's attorney. When and uh, they say they're going to send it to the grand jury, and uh, Daniel says, "And what if they indict?" And Burrell, with total confidence, they won't. We know that game in Ohio. I'm sure a lot of states do. And yeah. we, because I'm, there are cases I'm looking into right now. Uh, Kareem, you're aware of the the shooting in uh, Beachwood. I think I've brought that up to yes. you, where an officer was responding to a shoplifting incident, and he comes running up to the car and immediately starts firing 
to shoot a driver who doesn't is unarmed and and is was shoplifting and and so like this all went to a secret grand jury we don't know what was presented to him but nope no bill and that's happened in so many cases and we never find out what story was presented to the grand jury and that's how they can have that total confidence it's like well we'll we'll tell the grand jury the story that'll make them uh you know not consider indicting now that's an unwritten rule but have you ever heard of prosecutorial immunity did you know that a prosecutor can knowingly break the law to put someone in jail but we can't put them in jail for it (laughs) prosecutorial immunity is a thing what happened to checks and balances? That just doesn't sound right, does it? Prosecutorial immunity is a thing that exists in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's because a bunch of a bunch of attorneys are in politics and exactly. in you know, the system. Yeah. Like and, and that's why the, the the oh, I'll change the system from within. No, you'll get changed within by the system. <laughs> That's yeah. Funny. So I, this scene, it, it's it's one of those scenes that's just packed full of like you blink and you miss it. And it's it's showing a lot of stuff. And then, of course, all the cops in the room, you know, the oh people's idea of police brutality is whenever we win a fight and all of these rationalizations and, and self-defenses, mental defenses that they've all built up all just bubble right up. But, yeah, again, we see the favor trading, the horse trading and Burrell emphasizing to Daniels at the end of all this, we just need a little dope on the table, minimizing the investigation for reasons that become clear to us later in the season. Nice photo op. (laughs) But yeah, that's a scene that really just, like we said, if the first scene and later scenes, uh, you know, because uh, really humanize the dealers, um, those ones just really just put some shit on, on, on the, the people behind the scenes of power. Makes me miss the uh, uh, hometown newspaper when you'd have that like front page picture of like five, you know, somber cops standing behind a, a, a table with a one, one bowl, a pair of postal scales and about a half ounce of ditch weed. Oh, and they're so <laughs> proud. They're so proud. Some really like crinkled 20 and $10 bills. Wow. Big ball. And you got the kingpin, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I see that stuff. Um, yeah, I see that stuff. Um, I wanted to point out that um, um, uh, for those of us that are involved in um, advocacy or just engaged, like really civically, we can look at the people that we've engaged and we can kind of match them up with characters, you know what I mean, in the show. Mm-hmm. And like in in and in, in dealing with like a Valchet here in Cleveland, we had McGrath. We had Flask. And to know those guys, you know, is to know that they were headcrackers. You know what I mean? Yeah. They they cracked heads. That you know they these guys and you know you know and when you they talk the same it's like, you know, they were wheeling and dealing. They were doing the same shit. And these guys somehow made it to, you know, the like near pinnacle of, you know, starting off as a patrol officer. And yeah, I could just identify 
different folks just on different levels. And I got a problem with that. Like, you know what I mean? That we got corrupt people just like we're seeing in these fictitious shows. And that's, but that's normal. Like we accept that shit. It's business as usual. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And, 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 yeah, Pre- I mean that's what I say. Like Prez's whole thing, like as as a viewer of the show, you're brought through that. They it, it very much carries you through that arc where, you know, oh look at One you know how much he turned around arcs ever. Yeah, when he's yeah. like teaching and stuff like that. But in the real world, can you imagine like it getting out? Like if a school teacher, like what Prez's actual <laughs> on paper background exactly. would be. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't matter that he actually cares now. I'm sorry. Yeah. No second chances in the world in uh, in some cases. It's just like that. Yeah, I think I I mean, I, I wonder about that because you want to afford people the opportunity for. I, yeah, atonement. I do believe but in atonement. I think a part of that, yeah. something that would have to happen for me to like be OK with, like, say, Prez is a real person is that he would have had to very publicly be renouncing the culture exactly. of the police. Yeah. Yeah. Like right, atonement. Right. Not just not just trying to uh you know make up for it, but you know, yeah, exactly. Acknowledging uh his own responsibility and, you know, the the, the systematic nature of it. That, you know, he's just a symptom of the disease. He's not like, you know, uh uh well, there's the scapegoat. Look, we found him. No, that's that's you know, it's so common, you know? Yeah. We never do see him go express remorse to the victims of his violence. I mean, right. like, like the, the officer, he couldn't even, he couldn't even look at the kid. kid. Presbo could have his own episode. I feel like <laughs> that would have, yeah, that could have been a good spinoff. We might just do that. Like just have <laughs> a solo episode where we just show. go off on a character, but yeah, we should keep walking this wire. But, um, Oh, we, I, we have a, we have a great little like recur- scene where, uh, McNulty and Keem are in the office and he needs the photo and he, he sends the boomer, the useless boomers off. To uh-huh. get yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the OT guys cases go, uh, go red by way of green, you know, and the one is like just a severe, severe alcoholic. Like <laughs> yeah. McNulty is a functioning alcoholic, and the other guy is a non-functioning alcoholic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like when when you're when you're scared that McNulty is going to catch you drinking on the job, you have a problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, sure, you don't want Daniels or whoever to see it, but when oh my god, McNulty caught me drinking, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the, then we get to probably like one of the pinnacle scenes of the show that's like a, like you know my favorite is the learning chess in the pit uh-huh yeah when d oh i didn't kareem were you no go ahead oh no yeah so when um they're waiting they're waiting on the re-up and then d catches them uh, playing checkers, checkers. Oh, with yeah. a chess set, and D breaks down how chess works, and it's ends up just being this very eloquent analogy for the hierarchy of the drug trade, or you know, like ever you know, the other the world we're in general, at. Honestly, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, because yeah, the shit happening there mirrors what goes on exactly. everywhere. 
And yeah. it's a great moment, like showing D as a teacher, like doing what a teacher would do. Like, well, let me explain chess through the world you're in. Like mm-hmm. there, these, this is like the stash house because, and, and, <laughs> and breaks down all the pawns. And then what's Bodhi, what this, this, this reinforces my Bodhi as an analog for young uh, Avon. He says like, you know, the pawns get capped quick and Bodhi points out, unless there's some smart ass pawns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was he he definitely he's a, he was he was bright and I could see the parallels between uh both he and Avon but I mean at some point you know because Avon was a boxer he he got disciplined you know exactly. what I mean Exactly yeah and, yeah that's and the like, difference I think and that and I think that that was the game changer in his life you know what I mean like he went through this stuff, you know what I mean? He was just like Bodie and he freaking, you know, maybe got in some big trouble. Somebody kind of mentored him and got him into boxing. And that person that mentored him and got him into boxing, you know, that's a story. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can go off and do a story on that, how Avon, like that last piece that made Avon, Avon, like where that came in. Yeah, but the, I I don't you know whether or not he was being like yeah he took the discipline but then applied it towards like yeah that's why there's no rap he stays away from the things and knows how to like build something without getting caught. Yes. Yeah. But if someone was that that's almost like a that would be its own like you don't see that Hollywood movie of like you know the the boxer trainer brings someone in mentors someone like and then they take that discipline and then. Apply move on as a hyper focus to, to a drug to become empire. like a kingpin yeah. of, right. tr- of the drug <laughs> ring. <laughs> no, no, not like that. That's not what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, that's if, funny. if yeah, like imagine Mr. Miyagi trains Daniel San, and then then like he becomes like this ruthless corporate Scarface. head. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, like, yo, that, that's like, I just look at like, when, when you sit back and listen to when they're talking about, you know, they know it's garbage and we're just going to switch the red caps with the blue caps. Like that is like in the explanation, like they're going to come back and they're still going to chase that high. So they're going to come back and buy more. Like, don't worry about it. 101. Yep. Like he, he gets that, like. That's so smart. You know what I mean? The average person does not think about, like, about, you know, that on either side of the, you know, the law. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, we learn later that Stringer's been taking those business courses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because, and, you know. And he's a good student, too. Even his professor is like, hey, you know. So he's not, you know, I, I do think that the one bit with the phones where he's like, you know, Bodie uh, has a phone. So even even poor fucks got a phone. So there's market saturation. Well, you know, 18, 19 years later, that, that proved to be false. <laughs> there's no, there's no tech saturation yet. Lord, Lord help no. us. <laughs> yeah, good point. 
But you know, I, I when I was uh, my, my year in in UT Chattanooga, uh, you know, I lost my scholarship because I spent too much time writing essays for people, so I could you know afford my weed habit. But uh, uh, I, I spent most of my time hanging out with uh, a guy named Tony. He's from Memphis, and I remember writing one of his papers on uh, economy. And I'll never forget that, like, this is a guy who could start out the day with like five dollars and end the day with two fifty in an ounce, you know. And like I, I, you know, I was just like the the tag along sidekick, like the whole time, uh, uh, you know, I was in college that first year. And like it, it hit me though when I was doing this paper form because like, and I'd not seen The Wire. Uh, in fact, it's like two thousand one. The Wire doesn't exist yet. But but like you know, I, I was explaining it to him in in like weed terminology, you know, and when you re up and blah blah blah, and he got it, you know. Because he already got it. He just needed it put in, in terms that he understands it better than Professor Efau. Professor Efau has just memorized a bunch of stuff. He probably can't apply it in the manner that Tony could, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen that kind of thing uh, myself. It's, 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 it's kind of a beautiful thing, honestly. <laughs> and then... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, oh no, I was, was going to... Cut it. Cut it. Let Cut me. it. Yeah. We fuck. We fuck. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna um, say that, like, I wanted to mention, like, bubbles. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get away from bubbles when we talk about that. Like, it's easy for us to talk about, you know, the folks that are kind of in the middle of the food chain, but let's talk about, you know what I mean? Bottom of the food chain. Yeah. And you have bubbles and, like, you know, when I was, you know, in prison, you know, it was people like Bubbles that I always had one around because I, you know, give them cigarettes. You know what I mean? I give them, you know, food from the canteen and, the, you know, just so that, you know, it's kind of like paying them because I had I found some of the most wasted intellect. You know what I mean? Like these folks were just like. A lot of them were smart as hell. Yeah. And if they weren't and if they weren't super smart people, then they were comedic. They were funny <laughs> as shit. And I could just laugh through a lot of my time because they had the wildest stories to tell. They had, you know what I mean? Like they, they were, but even that takes a level of genius, like in the yeah. delivery, everything. Like they had their own damn material. But, you know, it's just that. You know, these folks were just, they were very complex. And when you think that they're like irrelevant, like you really don't know, like they were the consumers. They were also the mechanism by which the enemy was able to infiltrate. Like they were, they're a blessing and a curse. They're just like, they're up in this shit and you can't treat them like they're irrelevant. You know what I'm saying? But I did. I, I actually, I didn't, you know, nobody likes a snitch. You know what I mean? Just, you know, but at the same time, I did. I like bubbles. Yeah, yeah. Well, no that's, character that's, gets more affection, I think, and 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 treated with like, you know, like there, there's never anything um, that turns with Bubbles' character. You find, you know, like he's got the, other than he has the weaknesses that come with being a junkie. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, right there with Prez Belusky as like 
most surprising redemp- redemptive character. It's not somebody you would expect, like on paper, again, like uh, you got this junkie who's a criminal informant who's who gets out of jail uh, and gets paid to, to narc people out. Like on paper, that's that's not somebody you feel sorry for, you but, know? But he becomes a narc in order to, you know, right the injustice of, exactly. of someone he was caring for. Because he wasn't just, even though you know, Johnny the doesn't get that either, you know. Yeah, and his relationship with Johnny like mattered to him, and you know, yeah, this episode shows where Bubble really gets to shine with like his smarts about like the schooling Sidner on like you got to take that fucking wedding ring off. Oh you need yeah, more, yeah, you need yeah, more, yeah. You need more dead soldiers. You need to uh-huh. fuck your clothes up a lot more. Uh-huh. Um, your uh-huh. shoes are too nice. You know what? But what? But watching watching that, that was for me. What what that made me think about is something that you know, folks have can experience, and that's when you are kind of like a scholar in this area. You're like you know your shit, or you uh-huh. you just have this value in this very limited area. <laughs> but right. then these folks around you are only tolerating you. And, but you start to think that you're that you're like their peer and that and you think they accept you as a peer. And that ain't the truth. It's like in the end, you're just right now, you're just of use of them. But in the end, you're still to them just this criminal crackhead. Right. Yeah. With the exception of Kima. Yeah. Who's the only one who's yeah. really looking out for him. And this is the episode where, yeah, uh, Bubbles and her camaraderie really shines a bit and, and where Kima tells McNulty that like, she's just like been an out lesbian since she's been a cop to keep cops from bothering to hit on her. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny how like that show as old as it is, it was dealing with stuff like it had everything in it. You know what I mean? First female you know, lesbian lead cop yeah, that yeah. I, that I can think of. Uh, I and, mean, and, and first female lesbian black cop, obviously, as well. But like, you know, just just a female lesbian cop as a lead in a show. I don't you know that that was a first, you know, that's like Uhura kissing Captain Kirk levels of TV history. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know. Like it just like I said, just dealing with so many things and just, you know, the like, you know, a show just just like a it's it's almost like a documentary you know what i mean and to have and to have such a show it really i th- it's uh there're going to be things that are identifiers of you know eras that people are going to look back like if you want to know how it was back in these times you need to watch this that the wire is that show in my opinion, The Wire is that show where my grandkids are going, you know, it's one of those shows they're going to have to reference. Somebody's going to point them to that that landmark. Go here, read that landmark and what you're going to you're going to know exactly what happened there. And that's that's why I feel like that's that's part of that show, because you've got your um, shows that show how they did it, what's going on over in the West Coast. You got your shows that, you know, show you what's going on, you know, like in the Midwest. And then, you know what I mean? And then there's this East Coast thing, you know what I mean? 
and like really like New York kind of influenced a lot of stuff, you know, going down. But then Miami was fighting from down, you know, <laughs> to have that influence from down south and they were meeting in the middle and you just that 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 influence, like, you know, that style, you know, what I mean, way things done. It was I don't know. I get all nostalgic uh, watching that stuff, man. But that that but that's it's just a an awesome show because it just so very well chronicles, you know what I mean? Like a, a big, that, that thing that was happening in that era. Yeah. And I know David Simon did set out to do that. And I think ultimately the show, um, I, I can, I could never uh, disparage um, the mission of the show, which ultimately seemed to be, to inform and generate empathy, which is the highest form of, art in my opinion like if you're doing if you're doing art the right way it can be a way to make someone reconsider you know um some prejudice they might have that could have only otherwise been overcome if they had like you know if they're racist but they you know most people shed a lot of that shit when they like go to college and then they actually meet black people and gay people and you know Aristotelian catharsis basically you know uh, experiencing something kind of virtually uh, in order to, yeah, yeah, to, to face something internal, yeah. And, um, you know, and moving kind of to the, the great, other great thing is, you know, when you flip some of these relationships and, and characterizations, like we're talking about a snitch, the next scene uh, coming up, after what were you saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh well, they, they 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 go over. They have they have shitty surveillance gear. Fuck that. We can talk about that later. But the the snitch uh, is enlisted by uh, Rawls. Brings in Santangelo, and basically tells yeah. him, you know, <laughs> your your ass is on the line if you don't keep me informed and fuck McNulty up. And a police snitch having to cross the thin blue line. Like, I love that even, even San Angelo hates himself, you know? Like, yeah. nobody, like, it's, it's one thing to be a snitch on either side, but like, with that whole, like, it, it's, it's the same as thick as thieves and honor among thieves, you know? Snitches get stitches, as they said where I grew up. Uh, but like, the, the thin blue line thing, like, yeah, he hates that. He doesn't want to, like, no, tell me to break some law. I'll do that. But like trying to narc on some fellow cops, what are you? What are you telling me to do here? And you That's know, also you favor know what? in your pocket and and mention of suction again. <laughs> it's all mm-hmm. who you know, who you can leverage if you want to rise to the top, or even if you want to just keep doggy paddling like San Angelo, because he's not he's not trying to get to the top, but he's been fucking up. He hasn't got a clearance rate that, you know, I could destroy you right now. So you're going to do this or yeah. And the thing that's really fascinating that um, just kind of landing on me right now is thinking about the fact that Rawls, he's what in this a captain. But anyway, you know, Rawls came up as a beat cop. He's done the work and, you know, Rawls has had people 
come in his crosshairs as someone who, oh, if I lean on them, they'll be a CI for me. And now he's off the street. He's not doing that to junkies <laughs> anymore. He's doing it to his own officers yeah, to get what he wants. Yeah. Wow, yeah. But the same like that, kind of thing. Like, listen, dude, you know, uh, we the, can do the this whole, the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> the, 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 you could make a prequel to this show, like, better not call Rawls. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but like, I don't know, just 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 another example of this not too savvy, rough around the edges dude. Like, I'm thinking about him at the press conference. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we skipped that. up and like he's got to get bailed out. And it's because like and, and the people saving you are the ones under you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, and he's just like he's he's way over his head, but. How did he get there? He got there because of corruption. You know, honestly, he's a white guy. You know what I mean? And he he was in with that that clique. You know he's what I mean? More than Where, willing to cover up the the murder yeah. of a state's witness. You know what I mean? That's the one thing Walls that like knows it's just where some bodies are buried, literally yeah. and figuratively. He helped bury them. He helped put them or whatever. Yeah, I mean, or at least Rawls has curried the right favors and played ball in all the right ways and he is looking to move up the ladder and he you know what does he resent about mcnulty it's like that he's breaking the sin of giving a fuck when it's not a turn to give a fuck and breaking the chain of command like which along with uh respect the thin blue line are like the three the three commandments or whatever one last thing about the 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 cop press conference cover-up though like yeah i noticed one thing that really stuck out to me definitely turns into uh we think that uh i mean that is we're looking into the possibility you ever notice how whether it's the cops the military or reporters when they if not lie omit or then like a few weeks or months or years later it'll turn out that we didn't have the whole story there's always a way that it's worded and it's kind of you know like i i really feel like uh david simon did a good what because they're like I'll read a story and it's like worded in a really weird, ambiguous way. And then if I get to the bottom and then it starts saying an anonymous source close to the situation and I'm like, oh, the CIA, the CIA had a press release. Okay, I got you. Like, no, seriously, though, you remember the like we had, quote unquote, left Afghanistan. And then like three days later, we destroyed some terrorist cell. By which I mean killed a family of 10. And as soon as I heard, like, the military reporting, well, we have uh, got this terror cell, and uh, they were uh, working on IEDs, according to our intelligence. Okay, number one, you said that the war ended last week, okay? Number two, I don't buy this story. And then, sure enough, it was a family of 10, but there was just something in the way that at the press conference, you could tell they were lying. And I'm like, this story's a lie, you know? <laughs> you start to pick it's up on the way it's worded. Yeah. Yeah, the weasel words, the turns of phrase, the the way they leave themselves open. And it's like, exactly. oh, that's technically true. Like some lawyer wrote this so that later... That's what they- I was <laughs> A lawyer, you know what I mean? A lawyer and a crisis PR firm works together to uh, handcraft this PR release. And there's a certain way that lawyers and crisis PR people talk, you know? And when you hear that, 
especially if if it adds like an anonymous source or intelligence source or a source within the department, then you know it's bullshit. <laughs> That's a fucking movie. Yeah. And then also we have the disappointment of just watching, you know, like Bunk is a character who is presented with, a, you know, there's a lot of affability to him. He's got all these little like quirks to how he operates. And, and he has scenes that give you a glimpse of his better character. But, you know, uh, one one woman uh, I wanted to bring on, you know, Emily Forsey from the People's Archive of Police Violence, I think, Kareem. But I mentioned this, we're doing the show and she's like, I want to come on and talk about what a sexist or piece of shit bunk is. And beyond beyond how he treats his, you know, his lady uh, in this scene, though, we see like, <laughs> yeah. well, he'll step up and, and do what he's told. And Mc, McNulty is. Yeah forgives him that sin and uh, but it's it's just one more thing where it's like it's not great guys he's yeah um so the other the other officer who does get uh you know starts to finally crack in this one we're like go back to what you thought of lester freeman in this episode you didn't you probably A didn't notice he was in the cat, cat. and then we get this that yeah fantastic moment when his ears prick up at the mention of golden gloves exactly yes i love that because number two was the detail and all lester freeman does through the whole thing is handcrafting the the little doll furniture which like i said on reviewing you realize that's setting he's a detail-oriented guy who is all about the tiny pieces and like presby what's that He's OCD. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. And and that, like, serves him very well. Plus, you know, he mentions the military career. So he's got this sort of regimented, like, you know, detail-oriented, uh, you know, noticing the small pieces. But that, that scene, like, you see it in his eyes for a half a second. And then he's out the door, you know? And that's when we realize that, like, you know, this guy is not like because they were trying to sandbag Daniels. They were trying to get McNulty yeah. and the worst cops around. I don't know how Kima got in there. I don't know how because she's actually a good cop. I don't know. Uh, I guess because she's under under Daniels and he brought her along. But like they literally tried to sandbag him. Uh, but, you know, uh, Presby and, and Freeman especially are like two of the quickest to like change your mind about oh wait a minute these guys these guys are detail oriented they like puzzles and mysteries they they, they're like there are moments when only lester and presbalewski know what's going on and i think that's hilarious because like from the first you would never think that there would be a time when it's like well we better go to lester and presby (laughs) they they are on top of this yeah I, you know, one, uh, since, you know, we're talking about Freeman, um, you know, I think about, uh, you know, in that episode when he was, uh, going, uh, up to the boxing gym Mm -hmm. and, um, that young man had approached him, you know, to sell him some drugs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how he just like, he's a cop. (laughs) He's like, come on, man. Yeah. I'm thinking. I'm it thinking just, he's about to pull out his badge, you know, something like, hey, you're barking up the wrong tree, pal. But no, he just looked at this kid, could have arrested him something. He did yeah, nothing. Yeah, he's yeah. like, 
I'm glad fun. you brought that moment up because it's it's another one that's so small but so like rich with meaning and shows it shows so much fucking character. Yeah. Like you said, that he's the kind of cop who would get he's not what would Herc do? You yeah. get down on the ground. By the way, that's that's the canon. That's the canon. If we're ever gonna do an uh, a Herc line, that's how Herc talks. He sounds like Mickey he Mouse. He sounds like Mickey Mouse for some reason. Uh, that'll that's be uh, explained in found. episode one. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so and and you know what else it says about Lester too is like what what makes an actual good cop because as much as I consider myself a police abolitionist or at least a radical reformer, you know, like what I what I think needs to happen in terms of justice for a lot of people, um, I I never deny that like we need people to solve crimes, we need yeah, people right. to help people. In, in dangerous situations, but they it's need to be the helpful. The system itself and, is just. And what busted. do we see? Yeah. You know, this show is an affirmation of that because Lester is a person I would want to be in the role of what most people would call police. You know, like I. He, and what makes him a good cop? He actually knows his community. He knows when someone's not going to be served by being put in jail. Right. And, right. and exactly. the only way he can solve this crime is because he knows the boxing gym. He's happened to be gold gloves, whatever. But I mean, I think that that sensibility is shows who Lester is and why. Yeah. Ultimately, the most problematic thing he think he does over the course of the series is turn a blind eye to this or that and help McNulty with his nonsense in season five. You know, the the reason why I can't say all cops are bastards is because there's been at least three or four that not only helped me uh, and or could have had me dead to rights. Like, I'll never forget that one time I I sat on a key fob for my, uh, uh, you know, alarm system and the silent alarm went off and the cop came to the door and he's like, now I have to enter. This is protocol. And I'm like. I'm in my boxers. I'm like, dude, I'm in my boxers. I'm just getting ready for bed. Will you please just like, can we not do that? And he's like, is it because of the strong scent of marijuana, sir? And I'm like, that's actually incense. And he goes, well, enjoy your incense, sir. And leaves. You know what I mean? He could have fucked at that moment. I was employing, like I had a small business, I was employing four or five (laughs) friends who were making more part-time than they were at their regular jobs, and all that would have been down the toilet if all cops were bastards. He had an easy bust. He was supposed to come into the house. It's the rules. He doesn't need a warrant now. You know what I mean? And he knows it's not fucking incense. Like, I love the way he said it, too. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm. Well, enjoy your incense, sir. (laughs) Okay, man. You just, like, you are the official cop ambassador for the future in my life. Okay, I get it. There's at least three that are okay. (laughs) Well, even a bastard cop can do something one time. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say that. You, You know me, Brian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, what I think is the problem is that, um, that that ACAB, all cops are bastards. The shorthand when people hear that, you know, if you adopt that, I'm like, this is how I feel. Um, you know, as a shorthand, it sucks because it's just a saying that like the fundamental character of everyone as a cop is rotten and they're all terrible people. And that is not true. But 
where I get have gotten nuanced on like my am I where do I straddle that line the is job just saying, is I bastard. do think it burns anyone <laughs> if, if that's what you if, mean. If, yeah. Even if you never participate and you never crack the wrong head and you never bend a case to your will. If you, don't, uh, if you yeah. have to turn a blind eye to the bastardry exactly. around you, then you got a little bastardry. Complicity is guiltiness. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will agree with that. The job is a bastard. Like the old, uh, like in the 1600s, there's a saying, the law is an ass. Like, you know, that's that's how long we've, you know, the Magna Carta wasn't that old yet, but we already knew the law is an ass. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. The job is a bastard. I will totally get behind that. The job is a I, bastard. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, if we have any cops listening to this show it's as a journalist. It's enforcement in this state. If yeah. you are, and, and I feel I feel for decent cops, decent people trapped in the system. Hands I feel for tied, decent lawyers. Yeah, yeah. There, are, there are decent lawyers at really shady law firms who have their lives managed. You know, I feel right. for these people and and i need them to talk to me when you know things are are are, are, are you know shady and i and and for sure like hey sorry i'm getting interrupted good night good night goodbye <laughs> <laughs> that's charlie uh yeah so the, the, that was yeah i was just saying like you know put, putting it out there to you know any any law enforcement people out there civil servants you know as much as like i get down on things and i sound like a radical it's like i understand we're all you're all human beings and a lot of these people get into these systems with with an idealized with notion right, of what it is exactly and yeah, then yeah. then they're in it then they're in the fucking game and we, what do you see in the show? They're all trapped once you're exactly. in the game. Whatever the whatever your game whatever is. Whatever side you're on, whichever yeah, exactly, world you inhabit, once you're in the game, it's it's got its claws in you. Whether it's a cop or a lawyer or or the, the street dealer or the, the kingpin, you know, exactly. And it's one thing to walk away from the game, but it's another thing when you know, to turn around and flip the board over. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I know, but we need people to do it. <laughs> if we could just, you know, in in that vein, just yeah, just have 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 somebody just come in and just be that that change agent. You know what I mean? From yeah, I would I would love to see something like the way you get the best product is starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? exactly. Burn it if, all if down. If you build on a on a, on a busted ass foundation, your shit's gonna sink. You know, you have to oh. raise you have to raise what is there from existence. Build a new foundation that is sturdy and start there. Yeah, yeah. And that that's the problem with our police force because they're talking about reforms, and so you got you know band aids on a busted and, dam. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, you got these reforms being implemented, but then you and we're hiring all these new recruits. They represent the change, and who's training the recruits? Yeah, they're yeah. they're basically they're basically the veterans are basically telling the recruits, the new cops, hey, listen, new policy says this, but this is what we really yeah. do. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean. That, that's what that's the lesson they're gonna get. And that 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 freshman cop, that new cop, 
is going to take that shit in. And when they know that that is accepted behavior, they really don't fear accountability. Like, I'll be okay. I heard tons of stories about, you know what I mean, this lieutenant or that captain or that the deputy chief, that major. Like, you know what I mean? I heard stories about them. I'll be okay. And in most cases, they're right. You know, and uh, actually, this is a great time to uh, plug something that by the time this releases should actually be a lot closer to fruition that Kareem, you, you helped make happen. I'm going to be working with the Cleveland Police uh, Oversight Commission. They are going to be producing a podcast that is going to be based off of an incredible presentation they put together. It's the history of 100 years of police reform in Cleveland. And if you ever wanted um, to prove the case for exhaustion in terms of reform, you know, a term that any fan of the wire will know because that's <laughs> right. what enables the wires. They prove we've fucking tried we've everything. Tried everything. And yeah. this, so the, this police oversight body that the, it was it, it created by the consent decree, I believe um, they're planning to produce like a podcast with longtime um, uh, Cleveland journalist, Dick Peary uh, and create uh, content to get the word out that like, so people know, you know, this is what we have tried. So when you hear it in the news or you hear it proposed, you understand like, yeah, we've done that. doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And they point out things like, you know, no matter what we've tried, it seems like crime just always stays the same, no matter how much money we throw at it. And yeah. so um, I'm excited for that to be yet another like podcast I'm helping to produce. And there, there's some awesome people over there. And one of them, uh, uh, what's what, Jason? Good. Uh, Goodrick, yeah, he's going to be uh, coming on for episode six. So, you know, Ooh. you're talking about the like the roots of the problem. Like, you know, I, I I I don't I wasn't raised in a big city. I was raised in a tiny town. But trust me, rural Appalachia, we have our own, uh, you know, good old boy corruption, and we have our own like drug problems. It's more meth and opiates where I'm from. Hillbilly heroin and meth, like. Literally, the nickname of my town, Meth Menville. That's what they started calling us in the 90s because so many people were being sent to rehabs and prisons for meth in my hometown. But, like, growing up, they would chase off skateboarders. You can't skateboard. How dare you do something that keeps you busy having fun and building, like, a healthy, like, a, a healthy habit when you could be so bored that you can, like... Warren County was the nursery capital of the world in the 80s. We more exports of trees than anywhere else in the world. And then in the 90s, we were the nursery capital of the state, by which I mean we had the highest teenage pregnancy rate, you know? And when kids when wow. kids don't have any better things to do, when the only thing open after eight is Walmart and Waffle House, then they're going to go do drugs and they're going to have unprotected sex and they're going to get, you know what I mean? They're going to go steal copper wire. I know that story too. You know what I mean? Like that was another one of those where it's like, no, I, uh, I uh, will say uh, I know a guy, a couple of guys maybe, but uh, you know, that stuff happens because there's not better opportunities and options. I don't think people would choose uh, you know, desperation and degradation and addiction uh, and, and, and crime and the anxiety that comes with crime, you know, always looking over your shoulder. 
Like nobody would choose that without a better, you know, with better options that seem viable, you know? I want to bring it back um, here to where we left off in the plot. So yeah, we were just adoring Lester's, you know, detective skills, but then we get uh, McNulty goes to the feds to get, Mm -hmm. And the feds are pretty much presented as like, you know, um, only through the that connection later on more so. But they go to them to get the gear they need for spying on them. And uh, that's when like you first like when uh, McNulty drops Daniel's name, fits you throws uh-huh. him like a look. Yeah. Yeah. That was like like that was the point in that episode where if you started to like Daniels, you know what I mean, or rooting for him, it changed right then because you knew where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. Like, I can't be rooting for this guy. or And, and he's like, already you know, covered for Presby. Presby, for once in his life, for once in his life as a cop, Presbyluski tells the truth when he did something awful. And Daniels, like that was another one of those moments where it's like, okay, he's a career climber and he's holding back, but he seems to be a good guy. But then he's no, you did not. This is what happened. And just literally gives him the script, the direct lie. And you're like, oh, no, this guy, too. But once again, that's realism. These are these are fully fleshed out characters. They're not fully good or fully bad. Um, you know, even his wife, like, I think that's one of the moments where, you know, you'll see strife with Daniels, his wife, uh, it gets worse later, just like with Kima and McNulty, yeah. you know, their jobs and their relationships or, or D and Chardine, you know, it doesn't matter which side when you're focused on the job, it gets in the way of your relationships. But yeah, uh, like, I think that was one of those root moments because you see that look she gives him when he's like. So yeah, you know, there's this 14 year old kid and he's blind, and I, I I coached my men on how to, uh, you know, lie about it. And she's like, "You did what?" You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's kind of incredulous, and he's like, "Well, you know, I mean, like that's how you do." And and besides, if uh, you know, I it, it would reflect badly on me too. And this is just how business is done. And but I think that's one of the moments where it all starts right, you know, right there. And Kareem, I know you have you and I have talked about the problematic fact that when there's a police officer shooting like this, yeah, what they get to get coached by their superior officers. They get a lot of time to prepare their statements. It's not like you were treated if you were just a citizen who shot someone on the street, whatever they talk to you about then or and you say right then, that's what you said. Uh, Exactly. I mean, yeah, they don't they don't. And. That's the crazy thing is that according to law enforcement, they say by allowing the officers to have that extra time to um, before they actually uh, write down or say their report, you know, they say that that's helpful for them so that they it helps them be to be able to remember everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that's so why don't they have that disposition <laughs> with someone who is a suspect. You know what I mean? Why don't they have, like, come with that same energy. Like, give me a little bit, you know, a time to come up with my story. You know, in other words, let me see if there's any cell phone footage out there. Let me see, you know, 
if uh, they found any cameras out on the street that are watching the corner, like, let me see what footage comes out before I say anything. Right. Oh, and, you know, one thing we skipped over, too, when they were having the debrief with Burrell earlier, they mentioned what what were they doing in regards to investigating this, uh, looking up the criminal backgrounds of the witnesses who said they saw Perez Belusby yeah. hit the kid. Yeah. yeah. Reality check. Like, this shit happens. That's what I, you know, hope people take away from this is, when you know, when, when, when Daniels did that, you know, that he coached them through this, it's like, yeah, this shit happens and what's more is even then they're saying like oh the 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 threat and the wires they're talking about iad and in in ohio would be the bci the bureau of criminal investigations gets called in but what we see time and again is bci will come in they write a report with no conclusions and in the case of that shoplifter in beachwood i mentioned um i need to go through the report but there's a lot of it is all about the shoplifting that happened. Yeah. Even though what they were called in for was just like the moment of the shooting and whether that was justified, but they will equally, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll present this whole case of everything. And then they give that to the prosecutor and the prosecutor takes the BCI report to the grand jury. And we never get to know, well, what did they emphasize in this big giant report? They didn't make them read the whole thing. And we don't know who they called and what, you know, what was said to them at all. Exactly. They do that that same blame the victim stuff with sexual assault survivors all the time. The Ghislaine Maxwell trial, like they're too, like the, the whole defense strategy was, well, number one, they're remembering wrong. And number two, they're gold diggers who look, this one was an alcoholic and this one did drugs. You know what? When you're like 15 or 16 and you get turned out, and sexually assaulted by powerful rich people that you know you can't like you can't just say well prince andrew raped me you know who are you going to go to who's going to believe you you know yeah you might end up self medicating you know when stuff like that happens when uh uh, uh children uh, uh uh victims of ch- child abuse yeah a lot of times they end up with mental illness and 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 sometimes uh what they call a uh, dual diagnosis where it's mental illness self-medicated with drugs and then they use that against them when no that's actually just more evidence that they were abused okay it's the opposite of that but yeah they'll use mental illness they'll use uh criminal history they'll use drug use when often no that's a sign that they were in a bad situation like you know yeah yeah the the fact that they they that's the you know what they're emphasizing in the investigation and and it the wire you know to just button this up is like that through daniels um you really see you know he's not great like with this fbi thing like he's already not great in this show because he's the antagonist to uh mcnulty you know mm-hmm. you know if you have your first time watching eyes on again right now daniels there's nothing great about him you know he's like you kind of see that he maybe cares a little bit but they're what he's but doing he's back he's, like, yeah exactly who cares how conflicted you are this is what you are doing exactly. and <laughs> right and road to hell's paved with good intentions exactly so <laughs> yeah daniels Daniels looks like shit right now. As far as like you know, I I, I definitely know on first watch I was not a fan of him for any any reason, and 
he comes around to believe more in the case. And I think that's where he starts to redeem himself. And what lo and behold, you know, spoiler alert, what happens when Daniel, you know, actually fights to do the right thing. They bust him down to the evidence. Room. Exactly. So. Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, another line with the feds that I love when he, Barksdale, if you say so, I love how literally under the radar, this whole operation is like, you know, the feds, the DEA, n- the cops, you know, like when they, when they arrest Orlando, you know what I mean? Even the local cops, Barksdale, come on. I, I know the drug dealers in this town. I don't know no Barksdale. Like they were like, and, and once again, going back to the real story, little Melvin, how did they get him that first time? They couldn't. They just planted it on him. I cannot say that for certain, but it is hinted at, like there's literally a line about how, you know, Melvin was smart. And, you know, the cops were really bad back in those days. It, you know, I'm paraphrasing there. It doesn't come out and say he was set up. It, but those two pieces of info right next to each other, I believe little Melvin was set up. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, then uh, we circle back to uh, D in the Orlando's. Uh, and and he checks in with Stringer, and it's interesting in that scene he, he comes up and just sees the money counters rolling and has that moment. He's like, "Where does it all go?" Yeah. <laughs> and dude, dude, when he would listen, go, going in there, that was another thing. Like they were money laundering. Yep. Like you know what I mean? Yep. Like yo. They That's why it's a strip club. Covered. It's a cash-based business, just exactly. like in The Sopranos, uh, in Breaking Bad. It's 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 a it's a laundry. But you know, funeral homes. There are multiple cases of funeral homes being used as uh, for laundering. There's even an episode of Tales from the Crypt where it's a black funeral home that's used for like criminal purposes. But like, and and I'm just gonna say, like, if you're into murdering, like hog farms and crematoriums not only for the laundering purposes can come in handy. So, you know, but yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. We just yeah. got dark with that. I mean, it's <laughs> true though. What it, you look, know, look how, look how easy, look how dark we went just talking about what a pile of money. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the pig farm? The, there was a serial killer. Was it Pickford? I can't remember his name. He had a place called the pig farm. He had an actual pig farm and on it, there was a place where Hell's Angels and cops and judges would party with girls. Some of the girls, anyways. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They called it the Pig Farm. It's a perfect name for a place where serial killers, Hell's Angels, and the cops hang out. Is it not? A Pig Farm. You know? But it was also a an actual hog farm. And yes, he used them to eat bodies. Sorry, we did get dark there. But I mean, it's yeah. real. You know, like cops hanging out with serial killers. Dude, uh, uh, what's his name? Gacy. Gacy went on ride-alongs with the cops when they were looking for Gacy. Sometimes, wow. sometimes when they finally started looking for him, he would like come up to their car. He'd be smoking a joint. He'd blow it into the, hey, listen, guys, I know y'all been having some trouble. I'm going to, because he worked like he used, uh, he worked for the city. He used multiple city cars. He went to different locations. Listen, guys, this is my schedule for today. I know y'all have some trouble keeping up with me. 
he would literally like you know this this goes on you know um it's t- it like and people what don't want to believe it you know it's like oh wow that's uh, you know if you wrote it as fiction it, you wouldn't believe it but no this stuff goes on and it's not even uncommon and for every case well, what we, we know about of, here like there's got to you know, be Phil, more Phil you get into a lot of the like the 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 mac like macro conspiracy stuff mm-hmm. and you know and and i and we both you know have an appreciation for people who do the research to like pull out what are like actual facts of troubling relationships and histories exactly. and behavior that goes on unreported behind the scenes but what i like to remind people of and people are you know it's a real thing in the society right why do people believe in so many wild conspiracy theories like if reptiles or flatters or this or that and the whole gamut of of things that i don't subscribe to but i feel like like um, there's a way where it makes sense on a metaphorical level like you know the people in charge their reptilian brain you know i understand that that selfishness that sociopathy you know they might as well be lizards (laughs) they're (laughs) cold-blooded the people who rule the world are cold-blooded like lizards there we go (laughs) on a metaphorical level i absolutely i'm like it's a great metaphor but like are they shape-shifting 12 foot from the the reticulian no i don't i don't know about that now but they might uh as well be freaking lizards because they are cold blooded as shit. Yeah. QAnon, QAnon's gonna invite you over for a podcast. <laughs> you know what you else? Know, but I, I, what I've, I've been accused them. a few times. That's why I try to say, like I say, okay, listen, maybe Hillary Clinton does drink baby blood, but since we don't have any evidence of that, let's focus on the stuff we do know. Okay? I mean, like, it, and also, as I always try to remind people, hey, Hillary, if you're listening, uh, if you do drink baby blood to stay young, uh, you and Soros need to change brands. It is not working. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, here's the thing that I, I, I know from working wrong, people with wrongful convictions and they show it in the show. Conspiracies abound. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as like uh, what's happening with Daniels and Daniels telling those cops, this is your story. You when multiple say this. people engage in a crime or cover up, it is a conspiracy, conspiracy by definition. Exactly. And that yeah, happens the story, all the time. The stories <laughs> I'm working level. with gang stars are like, you know, these behind the scenes relationships that happen on local county levels where mm-hmm. cops are working with prosecutors. Conflicts of interest. They, they exactly. Yeah. It's all over the damn place. So, you know, that's somebody that's one should thing have where, recused you know, like, themselves. Sometimes it's not like sexy stuff like UFOs or whatever. It's just a judge should have recused himself because he was friends with the, de- uh, you know, the decedent or the, or, or the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I like that's, that's something that went on in the, in the Kai the Hitchhiker case, Theodore Roman Cow and, uh, and, and John Cito. And, you know, when, when everybody in the court has, the guy that the case is about on speed dial, that's a problem. That's a problem, okay? When when it's a lawyer and his lawyer buddies versus an indigent, that's a problem, guys. <laughs> that's 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 by definition conflict of interest. And at that level it becomes conspiracy. What one of the guys, he stepped down instead of like when it came out in the news, he didn't recuse himself still. He just uh, retired. I'm going to retire now. Didn't apologize. Didn't recuse. Just retired. 
that's that's the real that, world this is not this is not fiction that's what goes on you know and and like i said in the caceres case and in some of these uh cases in new jersey i've seen some of these dirty guys they get promoted to like state level stuff you know it's like wait a minute you promoted the guy that like there's no news but if you look at the disciplinary review board look up and the uh, office of attorney ethics and all these there there's there's ways to find the paper trail I've recently learned when a story is covered up about about lawyers and judges and prosecutors, you know, because like there's at least that paper trail where the bar association has to look at it, you know, and that's yeah. only in the cases where it gets reported, though. Once again, it's like cockroaches. You see one, there's a thousand hiding. Can we I also want to jump in and make sure I don't. I mentioned this too, because on rewatch it's now hitting me because I'm dealing with, uh, you know, my, uh, Dan Casares investigation. Part of that is the allegations that he was sleeping with a, a co-defendant who turned into a material witness. Wow. Um, yeah. and, and Sick. so, uh, in the wire, we have McNulty sleeping with the prosecutor. It's like, I never <laughs> they, really, yeah. like, that's not, Oh great. yeah. That's... That they ever had that relationship and cases wherever, like if that came out, that would undo any actual exactly. good cases they were working. But exactly. it certainly would allow in the real world, like, oh, we're sleeping together, make things go, let's make things go well for each other. Or I don't know, at least create a real, real problem for anyone who found that out. Listen, mm-hmm. that, that, that right there, uh, again, is another piece of that realism. Because, you know, as as people that work in those spaces will tell you, like, yo, that's this is regular shit. You know what I mean? This shit happens all of the time. They're all in and bed, it, literally or metaphorically. <laughs> right. And so, so and so because it happens so regularly, you know, that's why they have certain rules that exist. It, but it's just that the culture itself it's so pervasive. It, it just took over every damn thing that nobody's willing to enforce it. The laws, the rules are there, but nobody's enforcing them because everybody's corrupt. So everybody's corrupted. And the ones that aren't, they witness the corruption. And they, if they're not a whistleblower, they're part of the effing problem. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so that that their relationship in the show, it's it's kind of, you know, it's it, it. I think it centers more on how like the viewer or landed on me before would be like, oh, there he's dogging around even though he says he wants to be with his wife, and now you understand the infidelities and shit like that of the complicated side of the personal side of McNulty. But now thinking about it on that their official relationship level and having relations like that, how that can be a problem as much as. On previous episodes, we've talked about how McNulty's closeness with the judge, you know, a cop being tight with a prosecutor, how yeah. that's a good thing in this show, but that has but in, in real life, in that is places. a conflict of interest, and it's a bad thing, even if good things come from it. Uh, what was it like that line? Once again, the ends are the means, you know, if you do bad thing, like, you know, if you do bad things for good reasons, you're still doing the bad thing. <laughs> And good or bad could be relative. So, I mean, you know, while you might say, oh, prosecutor and police officer, you know, that relationship is it means something good. But 
um, ask Avon if that's something good. That's why I say it's relative. Depends on right. who you ask. I, yeah. you know, that person who's, you know, like me, that's thinking three steps ahead. What? Well, it happened to them. You know, it can happen to me too, and it'll yeah. be over some bullshit. And so yeah. that shit's not okay. I don't want to. You know, this exactly. guy's got the wrong impression exactly. about me. Going to come after me and going to have a, a prosecutor that's going to facilitate the bullshit. I don't want to be a victim of that. Oh, by the way, talking yeah. about three steps ahead, uh, this is the episode where Omar is finally introduced. And I love I oh, love yeah. the whole bit where, like, Avon is ahead of the feds and the cops. And, you know, but Omar is ahead of Avon. You know what I mean? I love that bit where he waits until the police surveillance van pulls off. It very slow, and, and he's watching. He's watching the Barksdale off. The like they've had no luck. Why, well, man? It's just hand to hands, and they're doing everything by the book. I can't get anything. It's useless. Meanwhile, Omar is looking at it. Oh, this is very sloppy. <laughs> because well, yeah, of course he's not constrained, he's as constrained by the law as the uh, as the cops have to at least pretend to be. You know, you got to at least have your parallel construction and your plausible deniability when you're a cop. Omar, you know, he's a stick-up man, you know? Omar comes in, yeah, and he's there to watch the testers get distributed at the pit. <laughs> and then, it, like, it's like he knows that. He knows, like, when that's happening. And then he waits to see where do they go to get the re-up. And, yeah, Omar Omar, be a great cop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but... You know, one thing I want to, I don't want to, I want to skip real quick with D at the, at Orlando's when he comes back out with Chardine, you know, what is, what does he do with her? He immediately leans on, you know, oh, yeah, his uncle. uncle. He's like, oh, oh not Orlando. Uncle, I mean, the guy. real, the real owner of this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he's uh, and he, he says, I'm his right hand. Like, no, yeah, right. Yeah. So there's D being a little less than honorable or <laughs> like, you know, like takes some of the, yeah, I'm like, come on D. But, um, but that, yeah, that they, was showing his complexity too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. smart kid, ethical kid, you know, in yeah. some instances, but then, yeah, he's showing you, he's still young. He's well, it's the power corrupt thing, right? Cause he, what he, all he's doing is like, well, I have the power to just, you know, throw my uncle's name around you know, he, you know, D is relying on nepotism. I mean, he, he gets told as much earlier, you know, after the trial, he's like, you think we fucking do that for anybody? Like it, the lawyers cost money, yeah, you know, getting them exactly. out of the case. It starts the whole thing. And, you know, there's um, something to be said about habit and habitat and addiction here that I think applies not just in cases of abusive substances, but like being addicted to lifestyles, Right. Where, you know, whether it's the cops or the criminals, where they are addicted to this lifestyle and the 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 trappings of the life, you know, and 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 it's unhealthy for them. It's bad for them, but they're hooked on it. You know, they there's something that draws them back to it. Like when when Kima uh, ends up briefly being what they call a house cat. She's no, she's not meant for that. She's addicted to being out on the street doing the, you know doing the job she doesn't want to push papers she doesn't want to be a lawyer you know 
Like, uh, I, I was in a rehab oh. once. I remember them saying, like, something about how, like, addiction is when you do something that's physically or mentally unhealthy and you have a compulsion to continue despite knowing it's unhealthy. And I'm like, oh, so, like, being a boxer. <laughs> right? <laughs> because being a boxer, long-term, being a football player professionally, long-term, being a pro-level athlete is bad for your body eventually. But if yes. you keep doing it, I guess you're addicted, right? And when you're in that lifestyle and you surround yourself with certain people, you know, I don't want to get all like the secret or whatever. And it's not about like all positive mental attitude, but a lot of it comes down to habit and habitats, you know? Yeah. You make me think like, like with Kima, you know, she showed that like, you know, you wanted to like her, you know, a bit or whatever, but then that point where they raided you know, the low rises. I mean, it's like, she's... Oh, yeah. When I saw her running, and I'm like, she's going to pull them off. Nope. And do you see her? She's, <laughs> she's one yeah, of the boys. Yeah, she's kicking. Yeah. You hear her saying, mother, who hit a cop? She's like, she's going... Boys. Yeah, she's going in, and that's, that's addictive, too. Like, that's yeah. a part of it, too, because, like, she loves being accepted. She loves being the mm -hmm. only one, the, the most respected... And so she's going to put in work and she's going to put in work more than some guys because of the fact that exactly. she's addicted to being one of the guys mm -hmm. she's accepting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that cultural influence. And in certainly I think it's a problem of like, you know, then you have officers who they, what they got into police for is the action, like how Herc resents you know, like what caused the trouble of the last episode it was really Herc stirring shit up, saying like, we got to go show them who we are. Let's go bust some heads. Uh, he, he doesn't yeah. want any of this. That's the only now. way he understands policing. <laughs> but you know what? And, like, and, and, he made but it, and he made it that long and that <clears throat> far in the force because every, you, you need, you know, like goons. You need, you know, you need grunts. You need... <laughs> You know, like every, you know, you've got those folks like that person who's like really got a mastermind and they're but they're not their physicality is shit. But right. the reason they survived, the reason that they're there is because of this. You know what I mean? So when you've got somebody that is like cracks heads, like you want that guy and everybody's looking out for him, making sure that he's going to be OK because you know you need that guy around. The enforcer. He does the yeah. shit other folks can't do, don't have the stomach to do, or just they're smart enough now to not get their hands dirty. Just find a, a find a yeah. dummy to do it. And that yeah. he's he's the guy. You know, and this is too we see in the raids uh where Freeman is an even better cop than McNulty who throws his tantrum and won't even show up. Because while the raids are happening, Lester just lets that shit go on. And then he goes and pulls the number off the wall. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Where, first, where the like, two humps had come in with. That's another scene I really like where they bring in the picture of the old white middle-aged white guy. And he's like, maybe he is a white guy. And like at first they <laughs> laugh. But then, it, then they realize like, no, we literally know this guy is a ghost. No, we know nothing about him. We don't even have a picture of this guy. But yeah, McNulty has, has cursed out Lester as being useless. Meanwhile, Lester is about to bring back the one picture we will have of, <laughs> of Avon. Yeah. 
and then and then and then the the then they figure out like Kima writes down everything like yeah. you know what I mean it's like <laughs> Kima Kima is the one that they that's where they got that boxing piece from <clears throat> you know what I mean that's where that came from and look where it took them you know like yeah. that that shit is crazy but uh everybody like just she probably would she would have made a good lawyer if she'd stuck with it, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. once again, she just like, if she wasn't uh, like, she didn't have the temperament. Like she enjoyed, she was addicted to the lifestyle of, like you say, being one of the boys, uh, you know, part of this whole, like, you know, cop tribe feeling, you know? Um, and it's sad because like a lot of these folks, they, they treat that cop family uh, as a priority to the detriment of their literal flesh and blood, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and turning their back on it can be dangerous to them and their family in, in, in instances, oh, yeah. depending on how hard they do it. Either financially dangerous or physically if they're actually turning on shit. But oh, look, um, you, Right there in Baltimore, you know, that's where you had the uh, cop who was testifying um, against other cops and what happened to him he wound up dead you know what i mean they you know they found him dead the uh the day he was supposed to have testified yep is this a slow hustle documentary story i i'm not of that i'm not sure yeah or i i think i it might be but it's or it's just another one i think that's a whole like spinoff i want to do at some point is like there's been a lot of of uh stories about baltimore that have come out since the wire that i think would be good to review and look at in detail um and yeah and so we getting back to like yeah omar is makes his makes such a subtle uh, entry into the show he's just sitting in the van you don't know who the fuck he is and they're just saying like yep there it is and catching everything and then then they get he gets the big flashy introduction when they actually go and raid the stash house and um basically beat out the cops at, at doing the, the getting any dope on the table. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, he, he by far Omar is my favorite character, uh, my yeah, favorite I character. And, 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 and I just love that. Like here it is like in a culture, in a space where homosexuality isn't just this, you know, widely accepted thing, but yo, my old, my boy Omar was who he was and that's it. And it's like, and nobody, nobody can do anything about it. Nobody's doing anything to him. Like he was the man, but then, but he, at the same time, he was complex. He had a heart. He did have, you know, a certain code and because yeah. of his soft one, like his soft spot, because of one of the aspects of his softer side, that's actually what caused his demise. Right. It was yep. a kid. It was a kid. You know what and, I mean? You know, you know, Omar is another one of those characters who's a composite character. Uh, uh, there's Donnie Andrews, who is a, you know, uh, a real stick up guy who robs drug dealers. Uh, and, the the gay the gay part of that character is Billy Outlaw, who was also a stick up guy from the area. But yeah, um, there's something called uh, the West Side Story, also an article about uh, by David Simon uh, that 
that uh, goes into the uh, Donnie Andrews story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like uh, Omar is another one of those like where it's 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 based on a couple of real people like that's, you know, that, that's for real. And, and you know, like uh, even in 2001, like I said, back when I was in college, I spent most of my time in uh, they called it the athlete dorms because calling it the the black folk dorms, I guess, wouldn't be politically correct. But it was mostly black folks in the athlete dorms. And that's where I tended to hang out. You know, that's where, you know, Tony and some other folks that I hung out with were. And like, yeah, there were a lot. That I, I, I met I met gay folks and bi folks. And, you know, like uh, the, the bit was like there's a scene where D is like spending so much time getting ready that it's like metrosexual before metrosexual was a thing. But my boy Tony, man, like he did that. He was like all like, like almost made you wonder. It's like, hmm, you know, like, but like that was for real. He took, he took his shit seriously. Like never seen anybody moisturize uh, their whole like shaved chest with Vaseline until, until I met Tony. (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) But like, what, let me say this about Omar, um, one thing I wanted to say about him or the other thing I wanted to say about the character of Omar was just that for all those folks that, you know, might like you like, ooh, gay people or something like that. You know what I mean? That are phobic that there was I don't care who you were, but there was a point in time in which you were rooting for that character. You were or you just were admiring that character and so, like, you were able to do that while at the same time harboring, you know what I mean, these phobic sensibilities. You know what I'm saying? And I think well, it's... He, yeah, like, he's a Robin Hood type character. You can't you can't hate the guy. Like, he, he does can't. some bad things. He's not always good. Uh, like, sometimes he realizes that he's being a bad influence and he doesn't like that. But like you said, he lives by code. He's a Robin Hood type character. It's like... Kind of like the the what is it the uh, narco narco terrorist saints where they have the little like you know they'll burn incense to the narco terrorist who takes care of a village you know what I mean yeah. and it's like they trust those guys more than they trust the corrupt cops why because the narco terrorist is actually like doing something for the community and the cops are just busting heads yeah and and shaking people down. Yeah. And Omar definitely shows that what you, you know, that's closer to what you were talking about, Kareem, like, you know, on a street level, he's got a code. He actually is taking from who he sees as like the more vicious or just, you know, dealers who don't have that code to whatever degree, you know, and a lot and allies himself with other people, but they're not looking to take out innocent folks. But ultimately when it does happen, you know, Omar, Omar gives himself a pass because he's like, well, I, I, you know, what else? It's almost like he's like, what else could he do? But, um, yeah, I think, th- and that brings us around to the end with the, the, you know, the whole episode closes out with Fitzhugh giving McNulty. This is how, this is, you know, Daniel's background. He doesn't background. know how to do pigs in a blanket. <laughs> That's what I always <laughs> called that. I don't know why, because it's like a cop. Ah, uh, yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Pigs in yeah. a blanket or a cop sixty nine, you know, and he's like, oh, I can tell you never did a patrol. <laughs> you know what? And for a cop watching that, I'm sure they're looking at that identical because I've heard that thing is real. That you know the rivalry 
whether friendly or not so friendly between the feds and, you know, local police, like it's real. And so, you know, they've got, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I even think that, (laughs) but kind of taking that shot at the, the feds, like for kind of looking kind of soft or spoiled, Uh like, I know cops watching the show love that part too. Like for those that could stomach watching themselves, uh, an honest portrayal of themselves, they, I'm I'm sure there are a lot that were doing that and they just identify with all that. And I know they ate that part up. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately, you know, you know, the feds just like Omar, um, their whole reputation will, uh, make some turns from where it is in this episode. Cause Omar comes in, you, you know, we're, we're not left with much more than like, well, he's a sophisticated, uh, um, stick up man. Right. Uh, yeah. and he's got a tight crew. That's pretty much all, you know, the, you know, you don't find out till, you know, when we get into the next episode that he, you know, actually like helps take care of the community to some degree and who, yeah, what, that yeah. he's got, a, that he's got a code, um, and and later on, we're going to find out that the FBI, yeah, like there's only so many fucks they're going to give. And then, um, you know, where their resources dry up and where they they prefer to focus on them. But that's for another episode. Uh, I want to ask uh, either you guys got any closing thoughts for, for this one or um, got any pluggables you want to plug? Who knows when this is airing, but hopefully sometime within a month. In regards to the feds, just a little advice uh, for all y'all listening. Okay, listen, always keep some red tape, like, you know, within arm's breadth of of where you're staying, because like you just hold your arms out with that red tape and then the bureaucrats will be tied up forever. So (laughs) 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 like that's what you do, okay? I mean, like, you know, you heard it here first, but yeah. Anyways. uh, Sound advice. PhilFairbanks.com. I'm Kafka Guy on Twitter. Wrote the book Pato Gate Primer. Um, you know, working on a book about Kai the Hitchhiker uh, being railroaded and that massive miscarriage of justice, as I as I call it. Um, and uh, it, that's about it for me, I guess. I'm gonna keep it short and simple. Um, I, if if I wanted to leave any anybody you know, or any thoughts on this. You know, I, I'm just going to go back to, you know, just the fact that this was a realistic story, you know, that had a lot to do with, you know, a hustling ass time. You know what I mean? And, you know, it was it, it, it didn't have like the polish of some shows where they were over romanticizing any particular character. You saw the good and bad in everybody. And it just. The whole damn thing was gritty to the point where folks watching it, it, you didn't have so much of the like, man, I wish I was him. Like, right, it didn't glamorize it. Yeah, yeah. It, no, like there's there's nobody on there that anybody wants to effing be like. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing. While simultaneously, I think, giving everyone – um, glimpses of r- recognition for some part of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, and how people get in situations where they end up, you know, uh, like uh, what was it you were saying uh, uh, one time we were chatting, you know, everybody's the hero in their own story, you know, 
Uh, I've always loved the classic anti-hero story because, you know, somebody sometimes can be so driven with a passion for justice that they end up, you know, losing sight of what's important. So, uh, you know, like I, I think we see a lot of anti-heroes on both sides of the law in this story, which is one of the things I appreciate and enjoy about it for sure. Yeah. And if there's one thing I'm really deeply appreciating, it's really looking hard at, like I said, the most notes I took on this whole scene was when all the brass and the, and the prosecutor and the cops and, and the, they all got together to figure out, well, how are we going to evade any accountability for um, what was happening to that 14 year old kid? Literally. And yeah. They, they just run through the numbers that like, if there's something that rang really authentic for me we, as we, now we a journalist a, looking at this stuff, a state's witness dying and a 14 year old, a middle school kid being blinded, permanently disabled. We, and it happened casually. It happened like episode. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, this is, just, these are the steps. Well, this is how we make sure that no cop is prosecuted for hurting this kid. Somebody okay. call a trustee what do we do? This, because this, we got a mop up job. <laughs> and you got these dinosaurs, you know what I mean? Keeping that shit alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, teaching so the next generation. That's, that's my final thought. That's the thing that holds strongest with me as we close out. Uh, I'm BZ Douglas. Uh, you'll, you'll find me in the things, uh, whatever. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll be back uh, with Richard. Dr. Richard Montgomery will be joining us for episode four. And he's got he lived in Baltimore when The Wire was going on. And he's going to have a, a lot of great stuff to bring. Uh, I've interviewed him for a lot of stories before that, where he's, man, Richard Montgomery brings the fire. So. Looking forward to seeing seeing all next, what, two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, BZ. All right. Good night, Kareem. Good night. You. Then you'll walk through the garden gotta watch your back well I beg your pardon walk a straight and narrow track if you walk with Jesus he's gonna save your soul you gotta keep the devil away down in the hole You don't have-